Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hello, welcome. I'm so happy you're joining us today because we are diving deep with someone who I think you probably know and love. He uh, has been on my radar for a long time. In fact, I hosted him at my yoga studio in Victoria, British Columbia back in 2012. Jediah was just born. He was almost one years old, I think, at the time. And David Griggs, who is our guest today, came and taught a workshop at our studio. And so he originally was someone that I met in Mysore and Russell also met in Mysore. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but we're going to go deep on all things yoga and Ashtanga yoga because David has a new book out called Ashtanga Yoga Vinyasa, Movement, Breath, and Posture in Primary Series. And it's a beautiful book. Uh, like a practice manual. It opens, you can follow along and read all of his insightful cues about the primary series. It focuses on the vinyasa, so the transition between the postures rather than having so much emphasis on the postures themselves. And we're going to talk about how the practice changed his life and what it means to him today, how it's even changed over time. And it's a really interesting conversation. Um, you know, David, as he ages, as his body changes, maybe as he's going through different life transitions, his approach has always been to double down and dig in and practice more and commit deeper to the practice. And I think there's real value in that, in having that discipline and that self-determination and proving to yourself that you can do it beyond all obstacles or any um, anything that's coming up for you. There's definitely some value in that approach of really pushing into the practice or going into it in a more dedicated and devoted way when you're feeling like maybe an obstacle, whether it's lethargy or tiredness or maybe even just not interested anymore, starts to come up. Um, but I think there's another approach as well. You know, I think there's another approach that we can take as yoga practitioners that doesn't involve pushing and it doesn't involve um, using the rod, so to speak, but rather slowing down and deeply listening and deeply listening to what we truly need and where our soul is calling us and how it's guiding us. And sometimes, in my opinion, I feel like as Ashtanga yoga practitioners, we get a little obsessive. We get too attached, too involved, too committed to the asana part of the practice rather than the sadhana part of the practice, which is really about committing to your own spiritual development and your own spiritual growth. And that can take many, many different forms. Uh, it could take the form of meditation. It could take the form of lucid dreaming. It could take the form of prayer. It could take the form of walking in the forest. You know, sadhana can show up in many different ways, walking at sunrise or sunset or just being present, 
showing up for your child or your loved ones in a way that's mindful and present and really being there, right? Being in the now rather than needing to be pushing forward or digging in or making life more challenging. Sometimes it's enough to just be with the challenges that life is presenting and welcome them and meet them with compassion and grace. So we're having a beautiful conversation today, a deep conversation with David and his dedication and devotion and ecstatic discipline. Um, You know, he has a true love for the practices of Hatha Yoga and it's palpable in how he speaks about the practice and also in his journey. And I think you're going to absolutely um, find this conversation riveting, very interesting. And I hope that it encourages you and enlightens you in your own practice. And you can find all of David's books. I think there's five of them, uh, The Secrets of Yoga Breathing, Maps and Musing, which are poems and thoughts and essays from his journal, Um, also Teaching with Verbal Cues, uh, The Ecstatic Discipline, as well as his newest book, his, uh, you know, the pinnacle of all of these years of practice and looking at the primary series and teaching Ashtanga Yoga Vinyasa, Movement, Breath, and Posture in the primary series. He also has video courses and DVDs, as well as his beloved YouTube channel, and you can also find him on Instagram. And there's also a phone app that you're can dive into as well. So he has really created uh, empire in a way of yoga offerings. And he's been practicing for so many years, you know, this practice has really um, been his entire life mission. It's his purpose. And so I think you're going to feel that uh, through this conversation. And, you know, the way he teaches is strict and yet he also uh, is very supportive in his approach in using different maybe uh, blocks or different tools different things to help the student really optimize their own personal body and where they're at in their practice so we talk a little bit about that too how he has learned to adapt the practice based on his own experiences with his own practice but also all of the teachings that he's learned from both using the Iyengar yoga system as well as the Ashtanga yoga system. So um, it's a good one and I know you're going to love it. So let's just dive right in. Hello, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. We have a very... You walked right over me again. I know. Mm. (laughs) Very special guest I'm your uh, assistant now, or or am I like co-host? You're still co-host, but But everyone knows you're here. But nobody knows I'm here. (laughs) Sometimes you do these without me. You just like just go off with some feminist and I'm not even involved. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes we like to do that. (laughs) But we have such an amazing, amazing guest joining us today. I'm so thrilled. We've been planning this for a long time now. It's been a long time coming. (laughs) Finally, we have David Grieg. David Grieg. Grieg. Griegus. Griegus. We just talked about this. (laughs) It's a a Catalonian term. David Grieg. Grieg's. No. It's, it <laughs> depends on, on what side of the Pyrenees. Greek. If you're on the on the west side of the Pyrenees, a Grigas. 
<laughs> yeah. If you're on the east and the south of France, garlic. Yeah. We just yeah. learned that like 30 seconds I ago. I know, I know. My brain is a <laughs> When I go to France, that everyone can pronounce my last name better than me. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> That's nice. You can just sit back and relax. <laughs> So I have I have such a, a giant kind of man crush on David. I've had it for over 20 years. Yeah. And one of the highlights of my entire yoga career was was uh, escorting David around the city of Gokulam for hours trying to find him a taba player. And I was so excited to get him on the show today to talk to him about that, about the old times with the kirtans. Doesn't know me at all. <laughs> I know. So terrible! Oh my god! Said, and we've never met. It's like uh, I guess not. I guess one of us met the other one, but one uh, one of us did not beat me. Yeah, made zero. I was such a little nerd. I made zero impression on you. But that was that was like that was so long ago, terrible. David. Yeah, I have a terrible memory that way. Like. When I watch a film, like, you know, I can be so into it and think it was so cool. And then I can, can't even remember, like, it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's funny. I, some details like that. I, I mean, important ones, but, but I, I just think they slip through. They just I, go. It blows my mind, actually, because um, I vaguely remember something like that, but I would have never remembered it if you wouldn't have mentioned it to me, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It like sparks. I'm like, oh, I kind of have a vague recollection. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> the, the memory sparkles for me is like, oh, my time with David. One on one time. He had to pull out the memory and dust it off. <laughs> like, I, it's still not quite there. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I distinctly remember George and I, um, George Whiteside and I were sitting with you. Uh, outside the Shala, 2003, and we were talking to you and we were kind of, you know, like so awkward and didn't know what to say. And then you said, you you said, well, I got to go, guys. Got to go get lunch. I said, okay, <laughs> bye, David. And then George and I turned to each other and it was like, I, 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 that was, I didn't know what to say to him. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when, like, I feel like the Mysore community you know, in the early 2000s, especially was like, I mean, it's probably still like this. We just haven't been there for quite a while. But it was like, you guys were just such celebrities and legends. Um, the old students, there was like a real I mean, there was no Instagram, there's no like, social media, there's nothing. There's just like this story or like this person, you'd meet someone, and someone would be like, do you know who that is? And you're like, No, who's that? And they're like, That's David Green. You're like, whoa! But it's 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 also it's like, do you know that guy? He was the basis for Black Flag. <laughs> yeah. It's like, who's Black Flag? <laughs> <laughs> you were extremely famous to like 200 people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you were the basis for Black Flag. Is that right? Uh, not Black Flag, but 10 Minute Warning. Uh, that was a oh. band in. In Seattle, uh, I, we 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 opened for Black Flag, or we went on a little tour with them. And, That's um, amazing. Yeah, and wow. Duff McKay, who's a bassist of Guns N' Roses, 
was in um, yeah. 10 minute warning. So it was kind of a, <gasps> you know, within Seattle underground, it was a seminal band. Um, and the, the drummer was um, the drummer that became the drummer for mother love bone, which if you know, oh. grunt. yeah. So it was um, some yeah. heavy players in the, the band and, um, and little old me, who was just a skater, you know, kind of um, almost like a hippie, because um, I was getting into yoga by that time a little bit. Yeah. Or was I? No, no, sorry. I'm getting it mixed up. We had a reunion and I did that later. But <laughs> no, but I didn't. I, I was a non-musician, basically. I, I was got into punk really heavy, hardcore, and I, I picked up a bass as a result of um, getting so into the music and like I just practiced in my room and like the Dickens and then I I got a tryout for the wow. 10 minute morning because I was friends with um, I was friends with they were all part of the scene and I was friends with um, Duff and Paul who was the uh, the guitarist and um, and it was there wasn't many choices and um, there was down <laughs> between me and Maggot Brain this guy, oh. and he had a mohawk. His whole look was really something. And then me, I was like uh, kind of hip in, um, I had the coolest bass ever. Um, and so that helped a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> got in the band somehow. And and, um, and I played with these amazing uh, wow. musicians and uh, that they went on to be, uh, you know, big time, but. I had another path. You had another path. That's so interesting. There's a lot of fun intersections there. Like I've seen this, um, this video of the 10 year reunion of the postal service. And they did um, a fake video of the tryouts for the postal service. And Duff McKagan was in it. And so was Moby. And Moby, of course, is a big, you know, Ashtanga Yogi friend of Eddie Stern you know, they went to high school together and I'm just like imagining you hanging out with Duff McKagan. Like that's fucking crazy. And then (laughs) they're all like, there are all these videos of, um, or interviews with like, um, the red hot chili peppers and how they were doing Ashtanga yoga back in the day, but also like, you know, they were, they would do it backstage before they would get on their, their sets, you know? Wow. Yeah. But yeah, like with Duff, he was like, we would go, some of my coolest memories are like, we would, uh, after practice, we would go down and go swimming in the Lake Washington. And this, um, that was a really amazing time, actually. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, uh, you... when I was into the punk scene, I, it was dark, uh, dark time of my life. And um, I was living on the street and really um, confused and, angry and challenged and um and playing the bass and picking up the instrument really helped me to kind of pull out of that and then the fact that i got in that band it just made it even more like kind of official and um high level and so it it was a big uh, big thing that real source of uh, confidence and um and just uh, sort of rising up and you know going going on my path and um I also remember when we broke up 10 minute warning, I was, I had another dark time and I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I saw Duff in the parking lot of, uh, the Herfie's restaurant. Uh, it's like a McDonald's of Seattle. And, um, and he was on his way to LA. 
to try to um, make it big. And, um, and I was like really down and, um, and I'll never forget. Cause he, he, he was such a positive person. Like he's always been a real role model for me actually, because of how um, his outlook was always super um, positive. And, um, and I, I sort of got, was moping in my downness. I was indulging in it and, and he did not sympathize or take to it. In fact, he, he was, he was kind of like blown away because he had looked up to me too. Cause I was also like somebody that I was always trying to grow and change and like, you know, find the best of things. And, um, and so after I went away from him, I, 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 I reflected on that and I, I, mm-hmm. it helped me to like turn around to change my attitude, you know? And, uh, that's, that's amazing because that, that's I can see now even more how that video is really this postal service video is really super ironic because he plays such a, um, a resentful guy in the video because they oh, he's doing the tryout and he says so who are you I'm Duff McKagan I'm in Guns and Roses I says no no there's there's one guy in blonde there's one blonde guy in Guns and Roses and you're not him. And this is fucking bullshit. There's two blonde guys in Guns N' Roses. Fuck this. I'm out of here. <laughs> and it was just hilarious. And it's all scripted. It's, it's all, all scripted. Like, and you can, yeah. like, if he's that kind of guy, that you can see why that would be so even out of character for him. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. I want to, I just want to ask you, um, in your bio, it, it kind of, you know, I, I have played at being homeless at, at parts, you know, I've made the choice to, you know, when I was in college, I took a year off of living in a, in a domicile. I wondered how much of a choice it was for you when you said you're living on the streets. Like, was it, was it something that you were, you were trying out the punk scene or were you forced to? No, it was, um, I was kind of forced to in, I mean, by my choices, like I'll, I'll still never forget. Uh, so my, my mom, her boyfriend at the time, he was the head of security at the Olympic hotel or the, and it was like the Weston or something uh, chain kind of. And I, he got me a job there. And, um, and like I, my whole punk persona, I, I was wearing my army boots to the, in my uniform and, and um, I ended up getting fired um, because I just couldn't play it straight. And so, you know, like it, I was pl- I was playing it for real. Like it was something I was I bought into the whole thing. Like I was against, um, you know, the establishment and uh, and the the typical way of approaching how you're supposed to go to college and get a job and get married and have kids. And like that whole thing was just not for me. And, and I was, uh, yeah. And, and, and though I didn't, yeah, I didn't have direction though, in a way either. So, so I was, you know, partying a lot on the scene and, um, drugs definitely entered into it. And, um, and I will say it wasn't like a destitute living on the street. It, it, I was young and um, there was something easy about it somehow and um, not super. Um, and it, it kind of 
got darker, I'll say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I got a real lucky break. Um, I got a few lucky breaks. Um, Getting a 10-minute warning was one, but also there was a woman, a young woman that was one of the punks, and her mother was a super cool lady that I uh, met, and she had a house, and she um, let me live in the house for $50 a month. And, um, wow. and so stuff like that. So I, I was able to um, climb out of it. And then um, I started going to school, too, to the community college to learn music and um, just things like that. That um, And I started I changed my diet and I started just kind of like um, going in this direction that was headed towards more like yoga or like what I was going to um, pursue eventually. And um, and, you know, that it took it was a real long-term um search and struggle for me because so that was you know i was just whatever 18 17 18 and then um even through going through i ended up going into those community colleges and and then i ended up going to evergreen state college to go to 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 um finish my um you know the just basic college degree and um and i still came out of that whole experience not knowing what to do and and um yeah and it was a real sore spot with me because well because how much i value work like me my mm-hmm. work is almost everything and um and so and it took decades to basically sort out like how is this going to work like how is david going to figure out what is you know what's inside of him what's as important and how is he going to share that or contribute and um and so that punk part was part was like almost like the the start of it. Like from high school, just kind of I'm not going to college. I'm going to you know to this whole scene, and yeah. you know I'm sort of adrift here. And um, and like yeah, yeah after um, I worked for Outward Bound, I ended up um, doing that. Um, I went, I took a course as part of my searching, you know, and that's that kind of wilderness outdoor stuff. And, and I ended up going back as an assistant and and working there. And, um, and then I, I was still just really trying to figure out this career thing. And I ended up in Colorado and I went to a career counselor for one year continuously oh, you know wow you know i think you, you take like some aptitude tests you know and you yeah you're done you know but me i was in it for one year and not any closer to figuring out like what was going to work for me and um and the woman that was the counselor she handed she just didn't know what to do with me and she handed me this book um puer eternus by marie louise von france and she was a Jungian analyst oh wow and that Puer is the eternal youth. Yeah. And basically that was me. I was like this kind of Peter Pan, this this little kid that could never grow up and and could never really settle or commit on any to anything, you know? And, um, and so I, I still um, searched for even longer after that until I stumbled on yoga. And then Mm -hmm. I, I started taking a lot of yoga classes and, um, and I ended up getting in touch with Ashtanga and then going to India and stuff. And, and even then, though, like when I studying at first, I, I didn't have it in mind to teach at all. Um, I was just practicing and loving it. And 
um, just connecting with this thing that I just amazing um, t- discovery of a practice and uh, thing. And um, and it's funny because uh, John Campbell, he um, I was one time I was having lunch with him in Mysore and we, we hung out. We even had bands together in Mysore, weird kind <laughs> of these folk bands and stuff. And, um, and he, it was weird how he put it too. Cause we, he was like, we were somehow we were on the subject of work and stuff. And like, he was always so well adjusted, you know, huh. he, it, <laughs> on the outside, I mean, he has his <laughs> yeah, demons, you know, no, I don't, but back then, I don't know how he is now, but, but then he was like, so when, for instance, like on Guruji's birthday, yeah. he would step up and like, sing the Sanskrit sloka for, for oh, all of us. Like, perfectly. Me, and yeah. I would be like, no way. Yeah. I could not do that. I'd be like yeah. run and hide. Um, and anyway, he goes, he said, just point blank. He goes, I know what you should do. I was like, really? Okay. What? Teach yoga. Yeah. That was it. And, and it go. was funny. I had not squared on that myself, you know? And, yeah. um, and then uh, I also, sorry, one more thing. I, I, yeah. I, I also studied with this um, beautiful Iyengar teacher in Seattle, um, Adil Pakiovala, who's a wonderful it, teacher. I'm and, sorry, uh, is he in Seattle? Yeah. Um, oh, in, because I I worked with him in in Taiwan. I was I, I he had he had come to Taiwan, and I had kind of helped set up the studio for him. Okay. I thought he was. I thought he was like straight from India. I didn't realize he was living in Seattle where I'd forgotten that. Yeah. I mean, he grew up with Iyengar and everything, but there he yeah. was in um, Bellevue, wow. Washington. Right. And um, oh, so wow. I started to watch with him. And then at, at one point I started volunteering to become a physical therapist. And yeah. um, cause I was like, still, what the hell am I going to do here? You know? <laughs> and he just discouraged that. He was like, do you need to be a yoga teacher? Not mm. a physical therapist. Like, and it was so weird because, you know, like my family does not support my yoga. And so and and just like my whole approach is a little bit unconventional. So I don't get a lot of support in a way like and um, and so like when somebody like a deal, he just cut through and said, you need to teach yoga. You know, that, that makes an impact on you. And yeah. um, so, yeah. you know, Amazing. there's there's something. I just want to ask about, and uh, you know, we're not um, psychotherapists or psychologists or anything, but I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm curious if there's a, if there's a thing here, because I, it said it again in, in your bio, your your father was a air traffic controller, and and your your mom was a was a nurse, I think, and they had divorced, I think, when you were seven. That was about when my parents divorced as well, and there's um, I feel. I feel like there, like this is a conversation that you would have with a father, and it's it's very fam- like the the yeah, dynamic is the dynamic is very familiar to me that I didn't have this conversation with my dad at all ever. Like, what should I do, Dad? Yeah, you know? was- and like that's a thing that you're that you see fathers say to sons when they actually are, live in the same house. It's like, I really, you know, what do I do, dad? Like, we, I think this is probably one of the best courses of action that you could take. Like, that's a kind of dad thing to say. And then you describe Adil, John Campbell, 
this 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 burgeoning flowering relationship with with Patabi Joyce is a it's a, it's a kind of um of of a, a father stand in like someone who is saying like this is the kind of thing that you should be thinking about doing given the, what Total. you're doing. Yeah, that's it. And exactly. Yeah. And um, and then and and then if you want to go into the psychology realm of it, it's like there's also this all this um, anger and um, sort of rebelliousness and um, very challenged by authority because the father figure uh, was absent, like um, because my dad, he wasn't involved even uh, after the divorce. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't have a relationship with him. And, um, and so, and so, and part of my whole thing with the punk thing was the anger, right? The so much, uh, you know, all the slam dancing and the music and, um, and it carried through to, um, just, yeah, like I still live with a lot of anger. Like it's something Mm. I, I really have to process or, uh, negotiate and, um, and yeah, and so I went through this a lot, a whole arc with Patavi Joyce, um, and I definitely made him a father figure, and um, mm-hmm. and he he accepted that role, and like I'll tell you, he played a serious game with me around it, and um, hmm. and helped me to heal from it partly. Um, like mm-hmm. so, what, he did this thing where so there's twelve people in the old shala, twelve people would fit in there, yeah. right? And, yeah. and so, and Sharat would practice in the beginning, but then he would um, finish and help. So there was two of them helping twelve people, right? Yeah. And and um, and I was much more Patavi Joyce's student than Sharat. Sharat didn't really pay much attention to me, and um, but Patavi Joyce basically completely ignored me, like just like and um, just like didn't give me any help at all. And so I became obsessed with what he was doing, like in the room, like who he was helping and all this stuff, you know? And I went through hell, it's like mm. hell, wanting attention and recognition and- um, Wow, more, and the same dynamic of wanting attention from the father figure and not getting- Exactly, it. yeah. Yeah. And like, and he would do stuff like, yeah, he would do, I don't know, just playing these psychic psychological games. But then yeah. um, I almost quit more than once. Almost was like, I had enough of this. And mm-hmm. then finally, one day, you won't believe this. One day I got so pissed, I just stopped paying attention. I just like went into my own practice, like really strongly. And I swear to God, that was when he started helping me. Like he, <laughs> the moment he was he was like he was aware of it he like saw the shift and that was it and then he Mm -hmm. then he started helping me from then on because i learned that i didn't need that help that was some that was a dead end what i was trying to get from somebody else you know and um that's such a subtle shift how would you even notice that in a student that they were i know yeah. yeah, it's so interesting. I feel like that happens a lot, or did happen a lot in Mysore, though. Like you'd want a new posture, and you'd want it, and you'd want it. It'd be like two months, and you know, no new postures, no attention, nothing. And then the day that you're like, 
fuck it. I don't give a shit. I'm just going to stay here for the rest of my life. And this is going to be my practice. And I'm totally cool with it. And like, you legitimately are totally like resolved. Like, that's it. I don't, I don't even want the new posture. I'm totally just here. And then it's like that day (laughs) you get the new posture and you're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, so interesting right how it's like i don't know i think india is kind of a fascinating place that way that where there's i don't know right. i always felt like there was something else happening on like a different energetic level than just that's super, yeah that's super interesting harm because i i got my last day in mysore ever probably <laughs> i i i'd always kind of had this fascination with like the these quasi deities that would show up in Mysore, um, like Olaf or the guy from Australia, Matthew Sweeney, they'd show up and they'd get like half a, half a series and they go <laughs> home. They get half a series. Like, you know, Aliyah would get half a series one day or Fabio would get half a series one day. And I'd just be like, I'm a, I'm, um, I'm a one posture guy. I'm a one posture <laughs> pony, you know, and um, I get one. And I'm and I would just be so like like just pulling my hair out. Like I'm spending like years of my life. I'm spending enormous wealth that I've created over a year's time. And I'm getting I get one posture. And then my last day, my last trip to Mysore, I got half a series. And I was and I was like, you know, I don't even want this. <laughs> I don't I got half a third and I don't want it. You know, I like I'm I don't want to do these postures. <laughs> I don't want to do any of it. <laughs> and then yeah. you were like, okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm done, actually. I'm going to go home. I'm going to work on Serena Namaskar and just keep doing that. That's what I like doing. Yeah. A little bit of, you know, Bodhikanasana at the end. You must have seen so many mm. interesting changes, though. This was something that I kind of wanted to talk to you about because I feel like the Ashtanga, you know, scene and sort of the, 80s early 90s you know even into kind of the late 90s was I mean you must have really felt like you found your people it was like a lot of punks kind of a lot of like punks new yogis yeah like alternative kind of hardcore kind of people who were like into alternative things and now it feels like it's kind of gentrified a bit it's it's got a starbucks in Gokulam I don't think they do. They do. There's a Starbucks. <laughs> but like, yeah, not, can you it's, tell it's, us? It's yeah. yeah. I, Harmony, I, I mean, I don't know. I can't really speak to that because, well, because I'm not part of it. So I don't really know. I don't, I'm not knowledgeable. Right. And, um, but there's no doubt if that was a uh, very, found my people for, when I was yeah. there. Right. And, um, and it was, and, it wasn't just what I mean. There's a see. I'm a very much a loner, you know, and um, and somehow that um, I was still a loner within that, you know, mm-hmm. and um, but I definitely, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Um, I, hmm, yeah, I don't know how much I, 
I think it was a small window, a small period of time where it felt like really family and close. And I, it's weird. I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, but in some ways I like sort of, I don't know, my choices or my karma, it sort of pulled me out of it, you know, like, or mm. like I didn't stay in the center of it. Um, you know, when I had the chance to like somehow, and it, it's, um, and it's weird. It, it, it challenges me to a certain degree, but also I understand it too, in a way. Um, but like, cause I, so just for, for, for instance, I'm, I feel like almost embarrassed to tell you this, but you know, like, you know how after practice you would go over to Gurji's and have coffee or something. Yeah. Um, and this was in the, by the time the new Shala was happening. And, and I was really into the music um, and I had found like real family with my singing teacher and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was like part of his family. And, um, and so I would spend, I spent a lot of time with him and, um, and Robbie, the name? flute player. His name Robbie was Vera Badrea. Yeah. yeah. And my singing teacher's name was Vera Badrea. And he, you cannot, there, even nowhere in the world can you buy, even buy with money, the generosity that he gave me, like how much time he spent with me. Um, like, cause I wasn't a very good singer, but I, I loved it. And I really was dedicated and, and it turned out to be like super cathartic and important for me because I was so shy and, um, really um you know really feel i i'm i'm a like i said i'm a loner i'm shy and um, kind of awkward socially and um as a teacher it, it, i was terrified to teach um to use my voice and i literally every time i would go to do the invocation when i started teaching i would get butterflies in my stomach like i would actually mm -hmm. be this big moment okay I'm going to do the invocation. And, um, and I mean, this didn't, it wasn't like for two weeks, it was like for two years or three years, like it, it was a good trauma for me to do the invocation. Right. And, um, and so this singing, it, I mean, it, it just kind of cut all that. It gave me my voice, you know, and it didn't make me a singer, but it made me a speaker and somebody that could just, communicate and, um, you know, talk and be, uh, communicate my convictions basically and use my voice. And, um, so, so anyway, that was really important to me. And like, I, Sarah Swati, they'd be like, you come for, for coffee and I would blow them off. <laughs> yeah. I would go. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this was the, the, the center of it all, and, yeah. and I, they're begging me, and I'm like, yeah, nah. And um, <laughs> and of course, that doesn't last. The invitation doesn't last, right? And, yeah, um, yeah, they ask once, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, and then a, a really terrible thing happened that I was I didn't feel was my fault, and it also, um, whatever. Maybe this is gossip or something, but. So Sherat was going to go on a tour by himself and, um, and right. he was going to come to Seattle. Right. And I was all stoked about that. And um, it was all set. And then all these people put pressure on um, the people that were going to host the him, Sherat. They put all kinds of pressure on 
um, because they were afraid that Guruji was going to die when Sharat um, yep. went away. They didn't want him to leave. And so I'm the only one I caved in. I was like, okay, yeah, that's that makes sense. So I went to Sharat and I said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. Or I, I had doubt, you know. And um, and then, um, and so then, then once once I had done it, then the people were like completely ditched me. They were like, um, uh, you the got really and yeah. then they were all sympathizing with Sharat after they told me I shouldn't go do it. And um, and then that, but it never really recovered with Sharat from there. Like he he never thought he never took me seriously after that. Like. Like I had my shot at it and I should have, I should have just like, if I had it to do back, I would have just gone, whatever. If he wants to yeah. come, I'm having, you know, and, um, yeah. and just little things like that happened, you know? And so I didn't end up part of the belonging, you know, like, and then also my choices of um, how to interpret the practice mm -hmm. were unconventional, you know, kind of dramatically. And um, that also, <laughs> Made it, but, but, yeah. But each person's interpretation of the practice is unique to their experience with the teachers they have, and yeah, so that, that I mean that's that was the beauty of Ashtanga Yoga, like the like the Patabi Joyce video with um with the Millers and with um Freeman and Richard Freeman and Karen Rain, they were all doing exactly the same practice. And yet their their uniqueness flowered in that environment and they couldn't have been more unique. And knowing that when you go and practice with them, what you learn from each of those six individuals was so very different and so very unique. And like, this is your experience as well, isn't it? Yeah, but the, but that it's not celebrated. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Like my, my certificate got taken away got um i got taken down off the list you know oh and, in the like in the when sharat was taking the people official off the list. lists yeah 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 and are you like on saraswati's list though <laughs> are you so. on her list because i don't because that's the real that. list you should check that one <laughs> that's the real list that's the okay, real uh, list i looked at it once and i looked at it and had everyone there i was like oh yeah that's the real one they just copy oh okay yeah 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 that's the <laughs> list i would want to be on yeah. Mm. Uh -huh. mm. But I'm not 100% blaming Sharat or anything. I'm, I, it's my own choices. Like, the truth of it is, when I really get down to it, you know, like, I, I practice out. I've, I don't know if you've seen pictures of my cave in the backyard, but I, I, <laughs> that's where I practice is outside in my backyard, and I made it, mm. like, sacred. And that yeah. is where I'm most comfortable. Like, I, I don't – I'm not really – that good at being part of a, a higher a structure or, a, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm better just off on my own. Um, and I, I, I honor the lineage in my own way. And I, even, I, and I love the, the people that are part of it, but it's feel it's more from a, from a distance or out, you know, like, and I don't feel comfortable right there in the center of it. And it just doesn't seem like my place or, um, for for the in either in any way for the for the people or for me and um, and so, but I but you know sometimes it 
I, I mean, I wish it was like you were saying, Russell, but, but it's not. It, in fact, it's whoever toes the line very closely, that's who's included. And, um, and the, yeah. um, I think you're speaking to something that like a lot of, um, I don't know, as teachers, maybe, maybe we felt, or people who were like in that, that group, you know, especially in the early days when it was much smaller then the inner circle was even smaller. And, and even though there's a sense like as an outsider looking in, um, you know, it's like, Oh, you're a part of it. You, you're, you know, you're in the, whatever, <laughs> you know, inner circle, yeah. but as, yeah. But as someone who's like someone who sees all the circles, <laughs> you, you're like, no, no, I'm actually really not in the inner circle. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> right, quite, right. quite outside. <laughs> I, yeah, I was thinking right. about that. That I was thinking about my first trip to Mysore when you were there and John Campbell was there, and I and I was staying at Saraswati's place across the street on the roof, and I I would sit there on the roof, being so far removed from any kind of circle at all, like a like a like an asteroid away from a solar system as far as being removed and i would sit there in my and i the the horribleness of it is that i if i sat on my bed i could see the sacred few being invited to coffee of the in the inner circle across the street because i could see directly into their living room from where i sat on my bed yeah and i'd yeah. watch like barry silver and lino come over for coffee and have and have coffee with and I would just sit there and watch them as they would all have their special secret time together and it would just be seething with resentment and then you know years later like a decade later I'm like escorting the family around Las Vegas and it's just me I'm taking them all to different places and I'm like the secret circle now I'm like their best friend <laughs> taking them to the Cirque du Soleil and getting their popcorn and making sure they get on all their seats and taking and making sure that Sambab has enough food. You know? And if, if you, if you still, if you still have that kind of outsider heart, it doesn't matter how close to the circle you are. You still feel like an other, you still feel kind of, you know, away. And I, I couldn't agree with you more that it's that it really when it comes down to like the, is this the circle of love is predicated on complete obedience. And the, you may have different different point of view and you may disagree on things, you know, like what a vinyasa is and what the count on the vinyasa is or how far apart your legs should be in Trikonasana. You know, you have a different point of view. And then, like, well, now you're outside the circle of love. Well, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. And, yeah. And, or, and I wish it wasn't fuck off, though. Cause, <laughs> and, like, I sort of, I kind of make it so it, I pretend that it's not fuck off. Like, I pretend, <laughs> like, um, I mean, partly it's a reality is that me, I love, I love what I do. But, but what I do, it does require pure Ashtanga, we'll say, um, like very like that, because to me, that's this this um, foundation that, that I base everything I do off of. 
So it's not like I do some other kind of yoga over here now. It's no, I do Ashtanga with this super wide interpretation. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and me, I love the fact that there's this narrow interpretation and because, because that gives me, then I'm still able to, it's not just this nothingness because that, because that's <laughs> what my thing could look like. It could look like, wow, it's just some kind of wacky Hatha yoga, not yeah. wacky, but yeah, very open-ended we'll say. Mm-hmm. And but no, it's anchored in this very strict um, structured discipline that Sharat upholds and, mm-hmm. and teachers close to him. And, um, and me, I like that. I want that freedom out here to do my thing because I really feel strongly that the way I interpret it has great value. Okay. And, and I do wish that there was room to go. David's cool out there, even though he's really <laughs> different and he, he like, and he, you could take what David does and then destroy Ashtanga or lose it entirely, but, mm-hmm. but you don't have to. Right. And so that's what would be my ideal. Right. Yeah. And, and partly I, I can't, if I want that ideal, which it probably, it's never going to happen probably, but at the very least I can say, I cannot go fuck off. Yeah. I, can go, I can go, I, I respect what you do, but I still am over here doing this. Um, right. And, um, yeah, yeah, I love that. I mean, I think it also speaks to um, needing to have kind of a dichotomy or needing to have uh, black in order to have light or needing to have, you know, like needing the two, yeah. like the yin and the yang. We need this. Um, we need the structure. We need someone to to take that. And I, I say that too. I'm always so glad that Sherat's taken up this position of upholding this orthodox method because somebody needs to, you know, kind of maintain that stance. But at the same time, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who think that you're quite cool out here doing <laughs> doing your interpretation. Um, you know, me being one of them, I think there is a lot of room for interpretation. But like you're saying, it's you can't have interpretation without the Orthodoxy. structure, right? Without yeah. that sort of yeah. thing to interpret. <laughs> and I do love what um, Russell said, too, is that it, everyone... Is, it's a natural thing that you that mm-hmm. I will see it different than the next person, and yeah. and um, and the further you go into it, the more that's going to be true. You're going to individualize it, and um, and this is just natural. It's just like uh, and and what's important to me is like that. I give myself permission to go into that and feel it and um, experience it in my in my practice. And then in, in my teaching, and I really try my best to, to walk the line of like, kind of show what this traditional practice looks like, what the core of Ashtanga looks like. And then I, and my methodology of teaching is quite um, systematic in a way. So it, it's, it's not just random, even though it's, there's a lot of freedom within it, but it's, um, it's got parameters and, um, and it's so, so yeah. I, uh... you, you were extremely generous with us, David, and you, you sent us a copy of your book, Ashtanga Yoga Vinyasa, 
movement, breath, and posture in the primary series. And looking through the book and and use and using it was really wonderful. I've, it felt to me like reading a kind of grand unified theory of Ashtanga yoga practice in that there are parts that worked to say um, uh, David Swenson's book and that it opens like a practice manual. There um, are some uh, options that you can think about. And yet it also had like this Lino Mielli's practice man, practice book um, where with such you know, with such attention to the breath and the vinyasa. And when there are times, like you say, uh, this is the correct vinyasa, the breath, but then you'll notice in, uh, say, Ashtadasha, the breath continues. It's a continuation of the breath. You have notes here of where um, there are free breathing or extra breaths. And it's such a and these are all things that we would pay attention to while we were practicing. We would notice, you know, if we're doing Guruji's primary series, like there's a lot of extra breathing here. Like I'm doing the count, but it's like, it's like yeah. 10 breaths for me when I'm in downward dog. I don't, you know, and so like how many breaths should I be actually be doing? It's like, no, though, there's there you're, you were paying attention to it and writing it down. I love this part here. Um, I've never seen it anywhere else. And it was, let's see if I can just find it quickly. It's this notation on springing, crouching, springing, and the crouch and spring and destination. This page is, we all know about it. We all know to do it, but no one ever says, look, this is a thing that's happening in the practice and you have to pay attention to doing this thing. You know, like prasarita paratanasana, uh, not prasarita, what is this? Upavishta konasana. Supta konasana. Supta konasana, upavishta konasana. There's a crouch and a spring and then a destination when you actually get into the posture. Like that's, it was yeah. so wonderful to see that. Mm. I yeah. wonder if you could talk that's to us cool. about this, the creation of this book. It's <laughs> such a masterpiece. Yeah. Oh, man. That book, uh, it nearly killed me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> no, I mean, you can see how detailed it is and how um, yeah. thorough in a way. And, um, and it took a long time to evolve. Um, there, there's definitely well more than 100 drafts of it. Um, and like kind of mature drafts of um, and because... Um, well, yeah, it's hard to talk about. I don't really know you guys. It's just like, um, but for one, the crouch and spring is really key to it all. Um, and so one thing I wanted to depict, um, is the, th that I, th so you have a photograph for every single vinyasa in the series and and it's not just a and a description so um and that evolved um it it wasn't starting off like that but then right. it, it evolved into that um i i had two people working with me um that one was a book designer and she um her name's ashley and um she she helped her and i sort of came up with that 
that structure. And it was, it, it started off, I think, being based kind of on Lino's um, grid structure. But mm-hmm. then it, Lino's is, see, in Lino's, it's a perfect, to me, it's a perfect example of the, of Ashtanga, like the heart, the core. Like it has no extra, okay? It's just breaths and positions, but it doesn't give you any other information, doesn't give you any of those extra um, movements or breaths. Yeah. And then, and so mine, my book is all the way at the other end of the um, uh, um, range there. That so Because it details like, you know, like when you go to triangle pose, you got the five vinyasa, right? And so, but so, but the first vinyasa, it starts in sanastitihi, and you you make a crouch and you spring out. You uh, separate your feet. You angle your legs and rotate your thighs, and you do all this stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so there's multiple movements and breaths in that first vinyasa, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, but those aren't detailed at all in um, Lino's book or in people really teaching much. Okay. And mm-hmm. so, but I've detailed those. I've like, I've given you uh, um, four, like um, three photos sometimes for one vinyasa position to, to mm-hmm. show you. Um, and basically yeah. I'll tell you what crystallized for me and to make this book, Russell and uh, Harmony. Mm-hmm. It is, here's what I concluded. Okay, this this Ashtanga's contribution to Hatha Yoga, or one main one, is this idea that the the movement into the pose is important. Yep. Okay, so before Ashtanga, there was you just did poses, right? Yeah. And nobody <laughs> nobody studied or or made any kind of formal thing around transitioning. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and even. Um, vinyasa yoga that came from ashtanga they they still don't well i won't talk about that just let me go back to this so basically to me i figured out that the the study of hatha yoga is two equal parts and that is being in the pose and transitioning into the pose mm-hmm. or in ashtanga terms it's vinyasa and state of the asana okay and and that book, it celebrates vinyasa. It, it tells you it tells you how to approach your transitions, and, um, and 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 in this very conscious way, every time you do it. So every time you jump back, every time you go to upward dog, downward dog, and jump through. That it's not a you don't phone those in. You don't do them on automatic. <laughs> no, you do them as a um, it, like as part of the art of movement, and this is part of your yoga. Like that, mm-hmm. just as much to study your transition is just as important for self knowledge as um, to being in your pose. Mm-hmm. And but and it's and it's so weird that we we who do Ashtanga, it, I mean, it's so obvious we like tra- we move right so yeah. much, and we do these transitions. But but we we miss it. We like instead. It's partly because there's so many. There's hundreds of transitions in a practice, but we just yeah. kind of forget about the transition, mm. even though it's built into our system. And um, 
formalized. See, it's not, yeah. I didn't make it up. That's what's amazing. It's no, that when you read Lino's book, there's five vinyasa in triangle and there's 22 in Janu A. But those have to be detailed. They have to be um, looked at and um, sorted through and studied. You can't just say they're there because right. people, people stop paying attention and don't consider right. like the moment you lift up um, and breathe in before you fold forward or the vinyasa when you're coming out and you lift up. Like those are, those are key Hatha yoga moments. And God you forbid you don't do them in class. What's that? And God forbid you don't do them in class in a lead class. It's like, what, hey, what are you doing? You know, you get yelled at right. if you don't do it correctly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Where are they written down? And, and, where, and where's the real development of them? Like, because Patabi Joyce, he, he, I mean, he was big on bandhas but he rarely ever taught anyone specifically about them. Right. Yeah. And so but this, but doing like Mula Banda, Udiyana Banda, this isn't easy. And, um, but, but Ashtanga makes it, uh, takes a hard thing and makes it accessible. If you know how to go in there and access it. And mm -hmm. that book helps you to do it. The whole language that it's um, putting in it, it's showing you how each, the value of each vinyasa and like what you can extract from it. So, yeah. wow. I, I think yeah. it's so beautiful. Um, this idea of making an asana book that's focusing on the vinyasa, on these transitions between the postures, um, because I think it's a beautiful metaphor actually for life <laughs> because yes. I've been thinking about this a lot and I feel like, like 90% of our life is kind of like in transition, right? And like transitions yeah. are hard. They're like really exactly hard. Right. <laughs> and you got to be ready. Yeah. And, and so if you look at that book, um, Russell, you'll see um, when it comes to, so like in Lino's book, there's the gray box where it's the state of the asana, where you do the five mm -hmm. to eight breaths, right? If you look in that, in my book, there's all these um, bullet points, for all the yep. vinyasas. But then when you get to the state of the asana, you'll never find one instruction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, and now what? I, I have, <sighs> see, because that's not the focus. And yeah. um, and it would have been too big of a book to do that. But yeah. I do. I have another book that has that, actually. my I, oh. I have another book that has um, bullet points for what you do when you're in the asana. But this is a celebration of vinyasa. And, um, yeah. and so, um, and of course there's overlap, like, cause I, I, some of those bullet points deal with being in the pose, but, um, but it, it, and I love your, that's so true that it's, that is, see, to me, I've got, I want to share something with you. Hold on. I keep a journal. Um, I, I did want to share that with you. Like, yeah, ongoing, your first uh, your first book it was sort of a um, illustration or like a I don't know a re uh, not a reprint, but it included a lot of your journal notes, right? Yeah, that I'm sorry, I'll be right there. Yes, um, yes. What did I do with Find your thing. <laughs> it wasn't actually my first book. The I my breathing book was my first one, the Pranayama. <laughs> But the yeah. Maps and Musings is the one you're Maps talking and about. Maps Yes, yes. Yeah. Beautiful. But 
So I, and this is kind of my current journal, and um, I just want to share with you like what I, and I write, I do different things, but sometimes I try to write these concise, they're, to me, they're poems, but they're very specific to the practice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it says, this one says, um, practice is 50% a study of movement, transitions, vinyasa and 50% a study of being rooted in an immovable spot. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then it goes, therefore, yoga is at once skill in skill in action, like the Bhagavad Gita says, mm-hmm. and skill in transcending or stopping action, like uh, Nirodaha. And um, mm. yeah, so the, and so that that's the whole deal. Um, Harmony is when you really take to that study of you in action through vinyasa, then you're, you transfer that you, you, it's a whole approach to decision-making and taking action in this changing world that, and, and the changing self. And like the, we we are challenged, right? So many Uh challenges. And, um, and you have to be ready for action and um and also willing to take risks um mm. and um and take chances when even when things don't work out and um right mm. and it's really easy to become sort of um risk adverse and back off of action because of being fear of um being wrong or um you know not, not getting it right and and so so basically, with practice, we've got to open up the whole subject of me in action and yeah. um, and make it a practice. And then, um, yes, yeah. I you know I, it's I, I love what you said about the 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 urgency to take risks and how important it is to take risk. And I and I was thinking about just the fact of the book itself is is a risk. I, I was thinking of all of the different people that have made books and you could start with Iyengar's Light on Yoga and the risk that he took with his own teacher, <laughs> which went very badly. When he <laughs> made, you know, In that and, direction, it went very well in another direction. Though. Yeah. And then there's, there's um, the risk that, you know, David Swenson or Lino or Matthew Sweeney took with, with making books or Graham um, Miele, I think Gregor Miele. And just, you know, if you really want to get off on a bad foot with your, with your teacher, make a book (laughs) (laughs) and then, you know, then you'll be raked right over the coals and every last thing that you said will be dismissed (laughs) because you made a book, you know, and it's, it's, um, that's a hell of a, that's a hell of a choice to make. I mean, cause you know. I'd have to think that you must have had some trepidation in, in making a book in the first place. Oh my God, Russell. So <laughs> you can't believe like, uh, so uh, to me, it's, um, it, it's super challenging, honestly. Like, and um, it's it sort of reflected in, um, I got a one bad review so far on Amazon and, oh. um, and the, and basically, and the, and 
I had my this friend of mine is uh, kind of a student um, too, and he's he's an amazing writer, and he wrote a review and sort of referenced that review a little bit. And one of the things he said was how good of a writer, like it was one of the best negative reviews he's ever <laughs> written, you know, <laughs> negative reviews he's ever wow. written. Yeah, so the guy, um, and he, he slams me pretty hard and um, and sort of hits me where I'm vulnerable in that book. And he, he calls it like um, clownish and um, obfuscating language and because there's a lot of poetic um, references in that Like I really lay my soul bare in that book. Mm -hmm. I take a lot of chances. Um, and, um, and it, it, you, it could be seen as clownish the, and the language as flowery. And especially if you compare it to like Lino's book, which is just completely solid, bare bones, not one um, emotion, or yeah. you know excess sentence i mean it's basically a, a instruction manual in a way like it's it's like put yeah. this here done yeah period <laughs> yeah and and so it was a huge risk uh, and it's partly why i started off with saying that it almost killed me is mm. just well it be, from the work that it took but also just committing to to that, like, to, and, um, and it, I, but I grew as a teacher and as a person, like, um, hugely from, from writing the book and, um, and publishing it. And, um, and I mean, at the end of the day, like I, I see, and this goes to my core belief about yoga, which is, which is kind of strange. Cause it's, it's the biggest paradox of yoga actually. And because um, on one hand, yoga is about kind of merging with the infinite and seeing the unity of everything and um, dissolving your ego. And um, and so but but on the on another um, note, and I feel that this is sort of a Western contribution and um, evolution of yoga, um, but it's controversial, which is that at the same time, yoga is about individuating. It's about it, that the further you go into yoga, the more solitary and um, unique the, and original the path becomes. And, and so you, this is big. I mean, you have to be able like that because yoga is about self-reliance and independence and it's about standing alone. And, um, and so that all everyone out there, they are not going to see it the way that you see it, and um, and there's a certain backbone you have to have, strength and mm -hmm. um, and, and conviction to stand for what your whatever your your uh, view is or what you see or what your experience is, and and j just merging with the infinite won't satisfy that um, that sort of human need to like. In, uh, be your Make own connection. person on this planet, and um, and so that book is for me. That is me being my own person on this planet. But and it's also encouraging you to do that, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's teaching that it's um championing that. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. so, yeah. When we hosted you at our school in Victoria 
gosh, that was like 11 years ago now, I think. Um, I remember you spoke about something that I hadn't really heard in a workshop before. And it was like, maybe just like a, it wasn't like a whole workshop on it, but it was just something that you said that always stuck with me and really resonated was about the courage that it takes to practice yoga, but also the courage that you cultivate through the practice of yoga and just this emphasis on courage. And I feel like that's what you're also speaking to here is like that courage to stand on your own, on your own and to stand up for yourself, what you believe in the courage to separate from like what everyone else is doing. Also the courage maybe to like leave your ego and to like merge with the infinite, but just this, this beautiful kind of emphasis on, on courage, courage and what it takes to actually do a practice. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, my my beautiful. whole experience of practice was terror. <laughs> Courage to face yourself every day. <laughs> yeah, waking up terrified and doing whatever whatever I, I whatever position I needed. I'd like to ask you this question actually. Doing whatever it I it whatever it took, whatever it needed so that I could get onto the mat and face a practice. And that eventually became so Byzantine and convoluted that the whole thing kind of <clears throat> fell apart under its own weight, you know, like waking up and doing half of third series to prepare myself to do intermediate <laughs> in the shala. You know, yeah. I would wake up like three hours, three hours yeah. before practice and do all these, you know, third series backbends, you know, to warm up. like my chest yeah. on the ground, my legs up, up the wall <laughs> so that I could, you know, do Kapotasana what was what is it like for you? And like let, let's like like let's say it's two thousand. You're in Mysore. What 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 was that like for you? Would you wake up at two in the morning? Would you find a coffee walla and go and like what would you do? <laughs> so Russell, you're you're describing my experience, okay? <laughs> yes. Pure terror, and then waking up. Two thirty in the morning with this insane warm-up routine, wow. just to go do the thing, and yeah, um, yeah, and you know, and I don't know. There's something, there's something cool about that in a way, like the amount of dedication and like sacrifice that it takes, yeah. and something really strong we learn from it. But but it also for me, um, it. What's interesting about it is the, the whole idea of fear, though, okay, and uh, the, the terror, like, because in a way, that's, I mean, I hate to say it, in a, um, I mean, it's changed, but that's still this major theme for me is um, fear, is waking up very afraid. Mm. Uh, and it, and now I'm not as afraid of like the back bend that I'm going to do because I, I've backed off and I do things more within my, you know, more readily within my limits or my capabilities. Mm -hmm. But but it's more David as a person and what I'm negotiating and um, and the challenges I face and um, and how damn hard that is and um, and it. And it's um, it's partly uh, you know just basic living, 
but it's also a deeper thing. It's existential. It's a it's a deep thing to to face how how much how often I am afraid, mm-hmm. you know, and and it doesn't seem like it's a it's a big motivator in a way of practice for me. Like, um, I, I, and I. I feel bad in a way because even, you know, I've practiced for a long time and it, it hasn't yet led me to need to practice less. (laughs) Yeah. I still need a a big, long practice to put myself straight every day. And, Mm. um, and, and fear is a big player in that. Um, And, um, and I'm sorry to say it, um, but also shame mm. and anger. Like there's, there's real strong emotions that um, they last and they're, they, they're, I don't know. I don't find them easy to eliminate. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I practice in order to uh, encounter those more gracefully and um, mm-hmm. lessen their effects or, and also eliminate them. But but I'm amazed that it's it's a daily thing that has to happen, and um, still there, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, it, so like that, it's so interesting. You're you're but you're going back to that, you know, that whole terror of Mysore and the intensity of that. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something very memorable about it (laughs) I'm glad that I went through it even even though I I don't know I feel that there was some negative outcome from it like pushing my body too far like if you have to if I had to do that much warm-up and be that scared and something's not right like somehow and uh, and I had the I had the sense that if I wasn't grabbing my calves in Kapotasana, I wasn't going to be competitive. The whole yeah. sentence, the whole sentence is fucked up. <laughs> There's nothing. <laughs> That's a terrible sentence to say out loud about what the situation is involving your spiritual practice. Yeah. <laughs> I know. But, but what's funny though is, yeah, no, it's terrible. It's terrible, right? And I mean, we somehow it and it's it's a bad look or a bad statement about us, but it's also a bad statement about like Hatha Yoga or Ashtanga Yoga that Mm. that's and um and to me, I don't know. I I I, see, and this is I believe that like Hatha Yoga and Ashtanga these are very powerful healing um, disciplines for mm. that can truly transform and enhance a person's life. And, and, but each one of us, we mangled them. We mm. really do a dismal job of interpreting them. And um, we, we lose the purity of, of it. And, and it's okay. It's an, it's sort of a natural human thing to do. But at the same time, we we have to climb out of that um, our ignorance and our mistakes, and really, really uh, apply ourselves and try to um, 
purify the, and kind of um, int- interpret the practice in um, evolving in uh, ways that help us, you know, and um, mm-hmm. because and and it's interesting because that fight for kapotasana, I don't know, it doesn't have to be negative. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the way, and, but when you, when it's competitive and you're comparing yourself to someone else or, or something, then, um, an ego is involved then, um, oh, well, no, you see, this is the thing, Russell, I feel like that the very fact that you do get competitive and that your ego does get involved is, is actually necessary, right? you like the, that, that, that's what practice is designed to do. And you, and you actually have to care about what you're doing enough. Yeah. Your ego gets raised up by it or you or you become afraid or you right? And cuz your whole job is to um, meet the challenge or um, encounter your ego and observe and um, and see what what am I made of here? What's what and like right? What am I made yeah. of and um and then what am I going to do about it? Like my, my reaction or this emotion that I'm having or this thought process that I'm going through. I, I agree. I feel like th- that you, you create a, uh, so let's call it a safe environment, even though there was high, really very dangerous. You create a safe <laughs> environment where you practice very um, difficult things that you are striving to to meet the challenge of. And then, yes, you have this kaleidoscope of emotional responses to them that you're then managing with your breath and state of mind. You're training your nervous system to regulate under, you're st- uh, you're absolutely. under duress or under emotion or under yeah. these yeah. conditions that you're actually creating for yourself. But I mean, in a at a certain point, you get a, you can get a little too attached to the the Kung Fu belts that you're acquiring <laughs> along the way, you know, and it's, they're just yeah. you can also yeah. get addicted to the sensation of like needing to create those conditions all the time and needing to like regulate yes. your nervous system all the mm. time. I mean, it's, it, it's a paradox, right? It I mean, is. It's, it is a perfect paradox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we and, need um, both. <laughs> I do, I'm sorry. This, I hope this, I like our, theme we're on but i have to say russell as i'm as this conversation is unfolding i am remembering you (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's the funniest thing anyone's ever said to me (laughs) well conversations we had in the old days yeah Dust, I may yeah. dusting off the memory. You may remember me with a mohawk. Maybe if I had a mohawk, that would that would bring it back better. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I definitely. You were younger. Yeah, I was much younger then. <laughs> much younger. I was much younger then. Yeah, I was many decades younger, David. <laughs> You know, I I wanted to tell you a story, and I didn't know if it was appropriate, but I feel like this might be the best time. Um, I was in Taiwan, and your beloved mentor and friend, Adil, I don't know how to say his last name, Paklavala? Paklavala, yep. Paklavala. He came to visit, 
and he had had a terrible time with his back and his back had gone out and he had to teach the entire program sitting down the entire weekend. It was terrible. And I, as I remember at the time, he was a little heavy set. He was a, he was a big guy and yeah. one of, but he was teaching his back bends and it was really, it was really nice. And one of the students in a very Taiwanese way, not to be racist, but a very Taiwanese way said just out loud, you know, when I see backbenders, they all seem really fat. They seem like fat, like are fat people better backbenders? And like, I just like, I just died inside <laughs> by the very Chinese way of being very up blunt, blunt about being fat. Yeah. Like, you're fat, Adil. Is that why you're doing such a good backbend? I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> and and it's, but also like, it, it strikes me in this conversation about being in your own way in a practice. And so you, maybe you have a natural tendency to be relaxed and it makes so many things easier, but there's a, there's a tension towards striving and achievement but you can be too intent on striving and achievement and then get in your own way of striving and achieving something. Yeah. yeah. So and is there a question in that? Like what, what's my, what's the balance between Abhyasa and Vairagya or what's the balance between ease and effort? What's the balance between? I really just wanted to tell my Taiwan story. Oh, how, to, <laughs> how, do you, how do you get out of your own way? How of... do you get out of your own way? Yeah, that's well, well, the question. Yeah. Um, how do you not be so attached to the results that you get in your own way? I feel very much yoga? like I'm in my own way. How do I stop doing that? Well, it's funny. You're... I relate to you, man. <laughs> I, 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 and I, I like your honesty because I, I definitely feel like I'm in my own way. Uh, there's no question, and um, and it's so hard because there's almost no way to get out of my own way. Like my whole <laughs> thought process just leads to it, right? Like it's it's yeah. just such and it's such an amazing. Um, terrible position to be in and 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 it it's one of the 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 biggest challenges of continuing to practice actually is like mm -hmm. kind of facing the fact that i am in my own way but i i'm in such a rut of repetition and habit in a way of response that it that it's really really tough to 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 change it mm -hmm. and um and and so but but I do think that the, the, there's that it is a double key, like the, the whole paradox thing. And one is is the the acceptance, you know. And um, Alan Watts really emphasizes it is that um, there really is nothing you can do to help yourself because you don't need to, right? Yeah. You, you don't need to help yourself. And the whole process of thinking you need fixing or to be different or change or Mm -hmm. um, that's all like your mind just playing its games on you. And, mm -hmm. and then, and in some ways, the more you do it, the more you try to fix it and get in there and worry it and anxiety it and, 
um, and feel shame around it or whatever, then um, you're making it worse. But but that to me that does not answer the whole thing because it's there's also uh, I mean this whole thing about vinyasa is that you you really do have to um, observe your actions and mm-hmm. um, and grow basically mm-hmm. and change and act differently um, based on what is really going on in in a circumstance and um, being able to size up things more accurately and without um, so much bias or coloring, you know? And um, so, uh, it, but I, I'm with you. It's um, mm-hmm. very, very challenging um, to like, basically I would say, call it to not plateau, uh, spiritually or um as a person and, and um and keep that growth happening and stay alive and um you, you know is would you consider <clears throat> fall uh freak falling into a crevice as not plateauing <laughs> freak falling downwards <laughs> is that also is that okay <laughs> No, but here's one of my favorite lines. I'm sorry. I, I, maybe it's corny or chody. I don't know. But so he he goes through that whole dark song, um, Chris Cornell. I fell on oh, black days. Right. Okay. And but but his whole his only little bright moment is I sure don't mind the change. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? He's like, I sure don't mind the change. So, like, even if you fall into a crevice, at least it's something different. Yeah, exactly. And and hopefully, though, hopefully we don't have to fall into a crevice and, like, mangle ourselves or, like, you know, really set ourselves back in order to grow or get a different circumstance, right? And um, this... that's a big thing is to be able to, um, yeah, not harm yourself because pain, right. And Mm -hmm. pain is right. A big teacher. You can say it's like forces change and forces a different perspective. And, um, but I mean, it's not, you'd hope that you don't have to, it doesn't take pain to get yourself into a dark hole or a terrible position. And then all, all of a sudden now, now it's really different. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 There. Wow. I can't, uh, yeah, my, I have piriformis syndrome and I've just, I've just multiple, yeah, multiple Sorry, herniations. Now everything is really different now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you see, but listen, th- this is the thing though. This is what is so important in yoga i feel like and it's not what they advertise okay but what's important is you keep practicing through that process of basically harming yourself i mean what else can Mm. you call it um big mistakes and that set you back and and then 
And then instead of quitting or moving on to something else or everything else you could do, you nope, you pick it up and you start where you are and um, and negotiate that. And um, and and hopefully, though, I will say, Russell, it's hopefully there is some kind of arc where you don't fall so far so hard when you fall. Mm-hmm. Right. That doesn't keep happening that you, you actually gain some ground and reach some place of more stability and um, health or something or um, um, awakened soulfulness, something that <laughs> keeps you a little bit balanced and centered um, more easily and more, um, more, more with more consistency. At this point, you know, half the way down, I'm I'm looking <laughs> at like um, an opportunity to turn the pavement into one of these, you know, uh, rubber trampolines, like in the Matrix. Like that's yeah. that's my last shot. Is like I can up. just rebound. It's like oh, I didn't I didn't jump across the buildings, but at least you know I I realize that everything is Maya. I didn't make it to the other side, but yeah, I'm get, it's get all, repelled back I, this up. This is all illusionary. The fall. I would tell you this though. This this is the hard part for me in what you're talking about. And can I tell you? You see, it, to me, this. I mean, I saw it. I mean, I I want to say a few things about this, if you don't mind. But there is a, I saw one of those Instagram little moments that I thought was pretty interesting. It was a ballerina that said, when the, when you hit um, hard times, train harder, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and to me that there's, it's crude and it's, it could be, it could be wrong, but I don't, to me, like, I do think that we can tend to think like it's like um, our attitude towards work. You think you work and then you then you retire. And um, and then the, like the, the ultimate thing is to not work. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and I think we can take that attitude in our yoga is that somehow we our hardest tapas or, our, you know, our deepest commitment to practice is behind us that now we're we're a teacher or we're a parent or, and, um, and we, we have other responsibilities. And so our practice is not a priority. And, and I just disagree with that, you know, like, or I, I want to question that. And, and to me, the, in some ways, I, I think that your the, the, as your life goes on, you should step up your practice that you should actually sacrifice more for it, not less. And um, and go deeper into it, and um, and so and when and for me, when I do that, for the most part, I can say that that, that that's where you get the trampoline that mm. <laughs> like that. So it's right, and and it's so funny because you're so opposite. If you're if you're hurt or you're sick or you're down, you want comfort. You want it. You want to indulge. Like, um, I still remember my mom, when she used to get sick, she would go get Kentucky fried chicken. Oh, right? amazing. <sighs> amazing. Yeah, mm. yeah exactly. Mm. Like, okay. But that is not the smartest thing to do, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> 
It, and, um, and so, so it's just something I square on in myself that I actually, it's like when I'm hurting, I gotta, I gotta get returned to my practice and, um, mm-hmm. and really look at it and take it seriously. And, um, and, um, and then the other thing that that beautiful line from Krishnamacharya that's I, I hold on to, and what he says is it's in the yoga rahasya. He says that yoga asana can cure ailments that no other um, thing will cure. Mm-hmm. So you're like you can go to the doctor, you can go to the chiropractor, you can do all these things, but that see in the asana. It's very, very potent but, and, and strong as a healing medicine. And, and you're right, it's dangerous. Like you um, kind of, with a dark humor, said before. But it's but that's like the surgeon's scapula, scalpel, right? That it's a... Also it, dangerous. It's yeah. a healing practice. And, um, and so don't turn away from it, even if... You is that is the, if if practicing partly got you to where you are to the hurting place that you're. <laughs> in. It means you have got to um, take it more seriously and um, respect its challenges and how difficult it is, and then also tap into your knowledge. See, you, you you've been practicing for a long time, and um, and you have a lot of knowledge. And it, it might just take a little flip, a little tiny switch to like um, go into a healing vein and somewhere that um, that renews you rather than breaks you down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I loved the drawings in your book. I thought they were so gorgeous. There are many drawings of you that are perfect. And I wanted to ask you the. It says the illustrations by Joe Mindhart and Bill Ross. I wonder, are those yeah. the people that made the actual drawing, the actual drawings of you that are so lovely in this book? I have to tell you, you I can't believe you're mentioning this because so this is such a beautiful thing, uh, Russell. Okay, so. I'm just going to share a little bit, whatever. It's just what it is. But my my mom is my main parent, okay? Mm. But she yeah. has set up this thing where yoga is evil. She's oh, a seven-day adventure. Okay. Yeah, and so we, mm-hmm. never, we can't mention the word yoga. So we yeah. dance around that all, all the time. And, um, and so my mom doesn't know any of my books or anything. And so, like, I'm not – celebrated in my family like we don't even talk about what david does right, right? this the um, so i like um harry potter or something or um cinderella and um with the like a little bit of a rock star over here in my own world but in my family i'm like in the doghouse all the time mm. Although, yeah, yeah whatever so bill ross is my mother's second husband and he was an architectural illustrator, and he was a just like he's the he's like a Buddha. He looks like um, Sonny Bono, <laughs> kind of a little bit stocky, and he has that mustache, mustache. the walrus, yeah. yes. a little bit like the walrus. 
And, um, and so, but he is a beautiful artist and um, illustrator, architectural illustrator. And he got, he's um, failing his health. Um, he's getting 80 years old. And um, it, when I was writing that book, and incidentally, he lived in Calgary. He's a Canadian. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. Who's the and, fellow um, with the mustache? Oh, hey. The hockey player? Oh, Lanny McDonald. He's got a little Lanny McDonald mustache. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so I somehow convinced him to, I gave him photographs, and he made those drawings of me. Wow. Um, and Russell, he died uh, about a year ago. Like he did, oh, this wow. was the last art he did before he died. Oh. And uh, it's given me chills, actually. Like yeah. and it felt so amazing, like to make that connection with him, like that he, and he, I mean, and he really, you can see how much he got into it. Like he, yeah. he did a, such a beautiful job. And I'm so happy that you saw the skill in that yeah. and the beauty because it wasn't, you know, like um, you could do it with a computer or no, but this had um, like decades of, ex skill. of expertise yeah. and love behind it. Yeah. Love for the subject. Like, yeah. You could see it. It's beautiful. Yeah. I was, I was, I was really, I, I was just, you know, leafing through it and I'm like, Oh shit. You don't normally see really good drawings. <laughs> These are yeah, really, have, uh, really good. I was trying to get him like I was trying to get as many as I could. Like I wanted to get all three series, but yeah. he oh, wow. petered out. Before, yeah, before I was able. So I have a good. I have them all sa um, saved. He get, he. I had um, Andrea. You know mm -hmm. her Solomon. Yeah, yeah, Andrea Solomon. Yeah. yeah she, so I had her go over to his house and get me the physical drawings that he made. Oh, amazing! And, um, so I have them. That's yeah. beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's it's um, a that's an amazing story of kind yeah. of it's, it's and it's, it's something you have to still kind of keep hidden from your mom, which is so which is amazing. Yeah. And this is the other thing is she, her, and Bill um, stayed friends um, all the way till he, he died and so she they were in communication and she never I, I, and like it was weird because i i hadn't had that much contact with him but then i was all of a sudden i was like yeah i've been talking to bill and and stuff but we didn't ever mention like what was actually happening wow yeah. wow. Yeah. wow you know it's it's kind it's incredible the kind of the generational change i think that we're we're all kind of experiencing harmony took a picture of me yesterday that was wild it was in the the light at calgary folk fest and um i was shock white with gray hair and silver and i was like that's is that a real photo she said yeah that's a real photo i didn't alter it at all i was like wow okay <laughs> and we're all kind of grown up now david and when we were kids you know the the yoga teachers like nancy gilgoff and Doug Swenson, they were the the Sunny and Cher, you know. They were the old crew were all Sunny and you know Sunny and Cher types. Who are they now? <laughs> They're eighty years old now, you know. And like, and now you know the 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 real the the masters that are still you know running around, walking around, teaching, and not just off in their caves. 
they're all ex punks, you know, they're all like ex members of Black Flag. Hey, and, listen, and, can I tell you? Me, I here. I'm sorry. I feel like, and I don't. I, this might be putting myself too high. I, I realize this, but I I feel a little bit like Lance Mountain, you know, because like, um, you know, the skateboarder. No, I don't know him. Because me, I, I, I was a the pipsqueak around Richard Freeman, right. Tim Mill, you know, like I was just this the new sunny kid. Sunny shares, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then now. I, and Lance Mountain, he was after Tony Alva and you know, Stacy Peralta and Steve Caballero. Like he was the next generation, right? Yeah. And, um, and he, but he, and he made all these cool videos and like just really became a cool um, presence in the skate world. And um, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I think I identify yeah. with him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally. Part of that. Gilgoff, David Swenson. I was younger than that. That's and what I'm when saying. I, when I, is you're the next. Yeah. You're, but yeah, you're you're you come out of a you're an ex-punk, not an ex-hippie. You know, and that's yeah. a completely different generation. Right. right? Exactly. It's a very yeah. a very different background to come at this from. You know, than totally. You know, it's and, very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I remember Tim when I first started. Studying with Patavi Joyce, Tim was assisting, and he oh, called wow. me Danger, Danger, because I didn't breathe. Oh, Very Danger Man, Danger Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I learned how to breathe, like yeah, maggot that. brain. You're the maggot brain of the Ashtanga Yoga world. The Danger Man, the Danger Man. <laughs> I love that title for you. I mean, this is a little bit tangential, but so my. Partner Joy is a filmmaker, right? Yeah. And um, oh, I wonder if I can show that to you. Um, anyway, so she she's one of her films she made. She never released it, but she's still planning to. But it was called The Bhakti Boy. Yeah. And it, it was based loosely on my little punk story of um, joining the band and all this stuff. And in that movie, there's a character called Maggot Brain. And um, he's like this guardian angel to the this uh, main kid that's the star. And <laughs> I played Maggot Brain uh, in the movie. I knew it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. That's so cool. And, uh, I remember and, seeing her Instagram posts of Bhakti Boy, like the some of the yeah, things from the movie. So Maggot Brain, his costume, it was like, uh, it was supposed <laughs> to be kind of like John Lydon. Like a, it was a sport coat that was all ripped up with... Um, safety pins and painting and everything yeah. and, but he had we made we had these made by an artist um cobra heads like uh, ananta so he's oh, a punk yeah. with the ananta cobra heads um and that was my character so i wore the the ananta oh, and so i was like the like ananta is to vishnu i was yeah. kind of like the guardian angel of this punk um, and but my name was Maggot Brain. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> amazing. Maggot Brain is the I think <laughs> P Funk's finest album, if you ask me. Mm. I don't know it. Is it is it a good one? Oh, oh I have to check. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, super stupid. Um, can you get to that? The like eighteen minute guitar intro. It was like it's a phenomenal. I remember. 
I was, it was wow. so revelatory to me. I was in, I was living in Kentucky at the time for like a summer and I was a freshman coming back from college and I was 18 and you kind of, you were kind of, I was like cynical, like, you know, I've kind of, I think I've kind of heard everything that there is to hear. I want to hear yeah. more new music and because all the, I've heard all the old music. You have that kind of arrogant cynicism and someone handed me Maggot Brain by P-Funk and I, it was, it just like exploded my mind that, oh, there, there's like a mountain of music that I haven't heard on the radio. That's just that no one's listening to because it's not right for, for television audiences at home. And like it, it, it opened up like I, I need to go, I need to really start looking for music now. Cause there's a lot of it that I haven't heard. Cause this, this yeah. it's a, it's a picture. The, if the album, if you ever see it, it's a black woman um, buried in the earth up to her, up to her head with a giant Afro. And it's just like the most, if you can get your hands on this vinyl record, it's like the most phenomenal um, piece of art to own in your home. And like I'm just, yeah. and I occasionally now people are kind of coming back around to it, and you'll hear it in, yeah. in movies, yeah. and you'll people are like, oh yeah, they they sampled Maggot Brain. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, yeah, sure. it's worth it. P Funk. So I know that you're super dedicated. You have like a sadhana practice that includes hatha yoga asana that you're doing daily for a couple of hours and your diet, your whole lifestyle, I think, is like really part of your spiritual practice. But can you tell us a little bit about how you're like pursuing, you know, your spiritual discipline these days? What what are you focusing on? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like what we, I feel like we've been saying, um, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I truly feel I'm at one of the most challenging times in my life, um, mm -hmm. personally kind of within my, because of the, the sort of, uh, coming so far on the road and then feeling like there's there's a lot more to go mm -hmm. and just, I don't know, in some ways not feeling up to it or not like, mm -hmm. yeah. Like um, I, I have this little poem that I wrote. I want to read to you that it sort of sums it up in a one, in a very small, small thing. Um, but, I, and I'll tell it sucks in a way like I don't know it's it, it really challenges me to be a yoga teacher honestly because because of the responsibility uh, mm -hmm. to others you know and th this is what's so hard um, because yeah I feel this big responsibility to like be a, um, an example mm -hmm. and 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 it's it grows more, and yet I just I don't know I I just question whether my growth is meeting that feeling of needing to grow more you know like mm -hmm. but so it, it basically here's what I wrote so after decades of decades of shallowly playing at the sport of yoga 
Um, oh, oh this, there's two poems. This is one of them. After decades and decades of shallowly playing at the sport of yoga, the question arises, will I ever begin to play this high stakes, death-defying game in earnest? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's one thing. And then the other is, uh, I wanted to find that. But basically what it said is, my boyish ways have finally caught up with me. And do I have enough left to become a man? Mm. Do I have enough stuff left? Like, right? So, and, um, and, and it's weird because on the outside, like I'm, I don't know, I guess better than ever or, or something like, but it's, I'm talking about this inner feeling and this inner place, you know? And, um, and so, and I'm genuine that it's, I'm finding it very challenging, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, um, and so, and so my response is, like I said, that if it's tough, then you, you, you get tougher. And so, um, so I spend a lot of time practicing, um, and I, I've included, um, like running and bicycling. Um, mm-hmm. It's like um, there's I I have this um, sort of need to physicalize it um, right now. Um, mm-hmm. Like I go on a long bike ride, um, and and I just be with myself. And um, but I also need the exertion. Like I I'm, I'm running um, hills and yeah. and stuff. And um, yeah, it's a weird path that I'm on, you guys, because I. In some ways, it's very solitary. Like um, Joy is, um, she's going more and more into her kind of filmmaking world, and um, and I've I've had some um, health challenges, like um, I've d- d- dealing with um, kind of vertigo and um, right. kind of um, vestibular problems, and so they make it hard to um, engage socially. Like, and I'm. And so I, um, and it wasn't easy for you in the first place. What's that? And it wasn't easy for you in the first place. Exactly. I know. (laughs) So like I'm trying to heal that and it's a real tough nut. Like I've been, um, and so I've, I've just being super strict on or different and, um, um, careful in my diet, in my rest, in my practice. And, um, and like, I've, uh, so I'm really focusing on it and, um, and I feel like circumstances have, uh, forced it or, um, and, and it's weird because, you know, like, like I said, I would have thought that I'd be like just more established or somehow and more, um, more comfortable in my own skin. And then I would, mm-hmm. that my thing would reflect that or something. And, no, it's it's like I'm needing to do all this. Um, my own personal practice has to be really big right now, mm-hmm. and it's almost like I got d- depleted or drained um, from writing the book and um, and the COVID. Uh, that whole yeah. COVID thing really challenged me in different ways. Um, yeah. And um, 
And so, so that's what's happening for me. I'm, I'm like almost in a, it's, it's, I could almost say it's a ongoing personal retreat, you could say. <laughs> and, um, and if you look at me, I mean, I'm looking good, right? Yeah. You know, like, and I, I've been taking really good care of myself, like I never have before. And, um, and um, I'm trying to sustain that and like mm -hmm. really step up and, um, you know, take these things seriously, like, um, like a cut out um, sugar and, um, and different wow. things that were like long standing habits for me. And um, just um, trying to be more serious about um, what I'm doing and um, I really appreciate the the honesty that you're bringing to your struggle, and and this is a you know public forum, and and so it, it, it's I think it's really valuable for people to hear that honesty, to hear that struggle, and so they under, you know people understand that it's not just them who feel that they've failed at something that is the most important thing in their life, you know, but it's it's the attempt to get up and do it every day. That is the success, you know? Yeah. And it, and it, it's very relatable. I it think is. Uh, like no matter what stage you're at, but I think also meeting it and embracing these, these stages, these phases, these different, you know, ups, highs and lows as, part of the journey and part of our spiritual discipline and and however you know we're ready to meet it whether it is through like head-on like more intense practice or whether it's for um you know whether it's like you need to like really rest and like nourish yourself or whatever like however you're feeling equipped to meet it i think is also part of the journey and the lesson and and it's just beautiful i think for you to share that you know, no matter what stage you're at, even after 40 years of practice, that, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it's still part of the journey. Like you're never, there is no there there, right? You're never going to get to this place yeah. that's like you're free from suffering and obstacles and life, because as long as you're in a body, you're still going to have to deal with your body and life and other people. <laughs> yeah. And like, well, and I've made these choices now, like, cause joy, so we don't have uh, children and mm -hmm. don't have plans to have children. Yeah. And like joy is deeply involved and passionate in what she's doing. Yeah. And, you know, and like, we don't do the same thing. Like, mm -hmm. I, and so, so here I am like, you know, like, I, it's like, I don't have something else to distract me. It's like, <laughs> and so it's a real gift you could say like that i get to do sadhana yeah. and um it's also damned hard mm -hmm. right? yeah. Yeah. like i mean and of course like if you're if you've got a family and you, you've got responsibilities in that way or different things then you've got your own set of challenges and that you've got to figure out how you're going to embrace those things and and uh mm -hmm. deepen your commitment and your devotion to those things and and so, but for me, like, th that's the thing is I've sort of carved out these circumstances and then yeah, here I am, like, and so I've got to, um, yeah, go into it and um, really a, lean into it. Yeah. There's a little, there's almost like a little metaphor there, like you've carved out these circumstances for yourself 
and now you have to to stand um, in the in the grave that you've dug, <laughs> or the the you know like Jesus. Now you like they made they made Jesus dig his own cave. You know, and like that yeah. that would have been a that would have been a crucifixion. Feels like a grave. It's true. Yeah. It's like well, you know, like this is what I carved out for myself, and it's like lonely and you know it's like all kinds of stuff and but here it is and um and but it's also beautiful in its own um way and like um joy told me she's a real fan of this um artist agnes martin oh she is very good Mm -hmm. just for the listeners at home you have to imagine a very a, a large um pale canvas say like four feet by five feet mm-hmm. and she's kind of really out of the american folk tradition of and so of quilting say mm-hmm. and so she's she's painted and drawn thousands and probably hundreds of thousands if not millions of lines mm-hmm. in her life across these canvases yeah. and they're yeah. they're absolutely stunning to be confronted with sorry yeah. to mansplain got- agnes martin for the people at home <laughs> Thank you. No, no, the rest of us, thank you. Well, she spent a lot of time alone, and um, and she, yeah. what she said was, the best things happen when you're alone. Mm. And, like, not, not everybody has that perspective at all, right? In right, fact, yeah. it's exactly the opposite. Like, if you look on Instagram and Facebook, it looks like <laughs> when you're with family or enjoying good times, that's when the best things happen. And, and so You'd to have think. Some, and, like, what you'd think <laughs> yeah you think <laughs> like i spend a lot of time alone and and it's um it's a gift it's um it's an amazing thing and especially when you don't resist it and you 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 yeah. like think of it as a gift as like wow i this is it i don't have nobody's trying to call me right? <laughs> nobody's responsible for anything like what am i going to do here with me david you know and uh, yeah. <laughs> and so it's um it's definitely very special and um and good I, yeah i really appreciate that you've you've sacrificed so much of your time to come and talk to us today and it's really like when i heard that harmony had gotten David Grieg. I was like, oh, amazing. We got David. That's such a great get. It's such a great, it's just, I've, I've always just so much loved you and, and looked up to you as a practitioner and as a figure in our space. And I've been aware that there's kind of like schisms and shifts in our community. Um, that have happened, but like it's happening to, to all of us everywhere. And I, I don't know why my wife is throwing our coasters at the dogs. Those are really valuable and you don't want them chewing on those, but I just, you know, I just want to say thank you for the, the space and the time. And, you know, it's, it's, um, we live in a in a kind of very balkanized Ashtanga yoga community at the moment, and it's it's not the old empire that it was. It's lots of little different fiefdoms, and yeah. you know, fuck it, it's what it is. And <laughs> so th- 
But thank you for, for, I know your, your community will listen and, and I hope that it gives other communities a chance to hear what you're about and, and hear how much love you have. And I know for, you have for also some teaching, like you have a teaching tour coming up, so a bunch of dates for next year and things. So tell us yeah. a little bit about where people can find you. Yeah. And also, I just uh, I'm going to be teaching in Sri Lanka in December oh. and January. So Oh, amazing. Yeah. Is it a yeah, retreat really that you're going to be doing or? Not, no, just um, like Mysore intensive kind of thing. You're just going to relocate yep. there for a couple months and... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Amazing. Oh, wow. That'll be so fun. I was fixing Sri Lanka. Anyway, Sri Lanka. Have you been to Sri Lanka before? No, this will be my first time. Oh, incredible. I, I, took, a, I took a Christmas in Sri Lanka. And it yeah. was right. It was the, the year following the flood. And I was very, very impressed. To me, it was it was all of the lush, green, and clean food of Thailand, but with the culture and character of India, but without the the filth. Amazing! It was a really <laughs> extraordinary place. And then on on top of that, um, it was the it was the year following the the tsunami. Tsunami. And every restaurant that I we went in, they would point to the the wall and the ceiling and they would say, yeah, that's where the waters were up there. Oh yeah. And then that tree, we found a German that, yeah. tourist dead in that tree. He was a big <laughs> oh, fat guy. They would say, it's yeah. like, this is, um, this is kind of wild. It was really kind of, um, the people were extraordinarily beautiful and thoughtful and sad at the time. Yeah. And um, and yet the whole place was just like a, a, a beautiful flower, and it was really wonderful. I I, yeah. I I can't encourage people more to go and 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 be with you there. <laughs> It'll be so fun. Thank you, Russ. Appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I really uh, I really appreciate you guys inviting me and um, and sharing the time and like uh, being so um, yeah enthusiastic to about my my teaching and you know what i'm offering i i, I really appreciate it yeah it's a and, pleasure um, if people can you have three books a pranayama book your musings i have uh, four books four books oh my gosh so, and then the poems yes. there's a poem book okay tell oh, us no, that's five. Right, five five. Books. <laughs> yeah, and they're all good i'm sorry they're all good yeah <laughs> And they can um, find them on I your really, website. Is that the best place to get links? The, okay. um, and you, it's better if you order it off my website, but you can order them on Amazon too. Okay. But um, but my new one is definitely my opus, my your serious uh, opus. The Ashtanga yes. Yoga Vinyasa book is yeah, that the opus? Ashtanga Yoga Vinyasa. You've you are really like the love child of Iggy Pop and David Life. Like you're just like that's a hidden baby they had. I'm really it's really cool sitting here with you and your energy, man. Wow. Yeah, you're I, such I an artist. That. It's beautiful. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much for coming on our show today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves. There's a hard wind and the soil.